This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 711. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 711. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Sarah Stevens is a former healthcare executive turned writer, speaker, and entrepreneur. After leaving her career in corporate healthcare in 2016, she founded The Beautiful Project, a storytelling collective that has reached tens of thousands of women across the globe with its powerful message about learning to take up space. Today, Sarah helps other people tell their stories through Branded by Sarah Stevens, a small business offering a full suite of marketing services. She also serves as the Community Impact Officer at the Project of the Quad Cities, a nonprofit that serves people living with HIV and the LGBTQ community. Sarah is a gifted storyteller with a skill for using her own story as a woman navigating the world in a fat body to invite her audience to encounter the parts of themselves they hide away from the world, the parts they believe to be too much. Addressing everything from too big bodies to a fear of failure that cripples confidence, Sarah amplifies a message that moves beyond a body positive sentiment and creates a movement that makes room for every body to tell their truth and take up space. She draws out confidence and courage. She believes in being free and full, and she will make a believer out of you too. 
This is Sarah's third time on the show. I invited her back after finding myself in a parenting conversation around body image that I was worried I completely screwed up. And so I immediately went to Instagram DMs and reached out to Sarah and was like, oh my gosh, I need to have a conversation with someone around this. Would you be interested or do you know someone who is? And she immediately said, yes, yes, me, me, me. And so we got this scheduled and I'm so incredibly grateful. This is a really important conversation as the pervasiveness of diet culture just continues to be so insidious, so oppressive, and ultimately very, very deadly in our culture. So listen in to hear Sarah and I discuss how my child casually throwing around words like fat and chubby threw me into a parenting tailspin, which caused me to reach out to Sarah, how to check your own body image trauma when talking to your kids, the importance of entering conversations with curiosity and compassion versus lecturing and shaming, the truth about the insidiousness of current diet culture in spite of the fact that so many of us think that we know better than to fall victim to it, how to talk to your kids about fat without causing them to have anti-fat bias or fat phobia. And you'll note that we actually reference fat phobia multiple times in this conversation. And since recording this conversation, I've learned via Aubrey Gordon, who hosts the Maintenance Phase podcast or co-hosts Maintenance Phase, I've learned that fat phobia actually isn't the best term. So you'll hear Sarah and I use the term fat phobia throughout this conversation, but I've shifted now into using language that's a little bit different and instead use anti-fat bias. Aubrey Gordon, spoiler alert, is going to be a guest on the show in a couple months, and we will dig into this conversation more there, but I'm always wanting to identify where we can make language better and safer and more inclusive and less harmful. And this is one of those ways that I learned about after recording this, and I wanted to immediately pass that lesson on to everyone here as well. Sarah and I also discussed the systemic oppression that is very present and very real for people living in fat bodies, how pushing kids to quote, make healthy choices can be rooted in diet culture if we aren't careful, and the importance of teaching kids to learn to trust their bodies and how difficult this is if you as a parent, especially as a mom, don't trust your own. So, oh my goodness, we dig into so many things here, really, really important conversations. I'm so grateful that Sarah said yes to coming back. And I know this conversation is going to touch so many of you because I know that none of us are untouched by diet culture. If you are a kid like me who had a mom (laughs) raising you between 1975 and 1985, it might be especially present (laughs) in how you show up in the world. But diet culture is alive and well, in spite of the fact that there's been so much work around body positivity and body neutrality and accepting bodies in different ways and making room for more bodies, body shaming, diet culture, all that stuff, it's still there. It's still very present. It's still very much alive. And there's so much work that we can and should do as parents to make sure that we are creating a world where our children's bodies can be safe. And hopefully we're healing some of our own body trauma in the process. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Sarah Stevens back to the Shameless Mom Academy. Sarah, welcome back to the Shameless Mom Academy for the second time interviewing, but third time because you were a speaker for one of our events and we put that on the show as well. So, I mean, you just live here now. I, you know what? I'm happy to move in and grateful to be here today. I love it. We are definitely roommates and I could not be happier. (laughs) Same friend, same. So anything that you want to update us on bio-wise, personally, professionally, since you were last here, anything you're particularly excited about right now, anything there before we dig into all the goodness? Well, sure. There's always (laughs) something going on, right? So always, uh, if memory serves me, 
that was probably like 2019 ish, which feels like a whole entire lifetime ago, maybe 18, 19, but it was uh, definitely pre pandemic. Oh, that's right. One. So the first one would have been pre pandemic. And then the second one was during, during. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know that we talked much bio in that second conversation. So at the time on the first test, I would have been talking a lot about promoting my work with the beautiful project and the beautiful project is a storytelling collective inviting women to take up space. I am still in some ways at that work, but I'm probably one of the things I'm most excited about is that I'm actually getting ready to uh, wrap it up. And that's been a place of discernment for a while. I think that once you create something and you put it out in the world, it gets really hard to decide when there's an end. And I think it's kind of like a relationship, right? Like sometimes I have been known once or twice to hang on too long to something that I know is over, whether it's like a romantic relationship or a shitty job or whatever, right? right? Like I keep wanting to reinvent it to make Mm -hmm. it into something that it isn't any longer. And so I spent a lot of time this last year really asking what was the purpose of the beautiful project and has it fulfilled its purpose? And the answer was really yes. So I have a final season of the podcast, which is only four episodes that I'm going to drop all at one time very soon. And those four episodes are entirely in response to this idea of like, once I've decided to come back to my body, how do I get there? Mm. And so I brought on guests who were pivotal in helping me come back to my own body. And we just shared about what that looked like. So we talk about food and movement and trauma and how to work through trauma. And then we talk a little bit about death, about inevitability of death and how we work through those things. And those were really pivotal things for me. So I'm excited about dropping that. And then I'm excited about kind of uh, disappearing for a while. I need a break. It's been a long couple of years. And I just feel strongly that we don't build in enough actual rest, particularly creators or probably everybody in capitalism, I would guess. Nobody Mm -hmm. really builds that in, right? But this constant sort of need to be visible over time, it just sort of wears human beings down. So I'm trying to acknowledge that same thing. I think, I actually think that it's kind of connected to, to what I just said about the project. Like I'm really acknowledging that I'm at the end of a season and that while I transition to whatever's next, it's kind of time to just be dormant. And I'm, yeah, I am really excited about that. That like honoring and listening is so important and also not what type a ambitious people who like to be perceived as doers and achievers like me uh, yeah. tend to do. Yeah. So me I neither. Really, really admire that. I mean, I'm excited and I'm also terrified. Mm-hmm. Like what if I walk into this place and there's nothing on the other side? That's of course the fear, but I've learned because I've practiced this before that freedom's usually on the other side of fear mm-hmm. for me. So I'm just going to go in. We'll see yeah. what happens. So I reached out to you about this conversation. It's now been a couple months ago, but it's so funny because I was like, do you know of anyone who'd want to have this conversation with me? Maybe it's you. I don't know. I mean, maybe. (laughs) Then, and it came out of this parenting moment that I had. And I was like, I think that some, that a lot of people might need to hear this conversation. And you were like, oh yeah, that's me. Let's do it. And I was like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) It took us a minute to get it booked, but I'm so excited to talk about this. So you and I have both done work to varying degrees and in very different capacities and contexts around working around with women, with ourselves, around body image, around health, around body positivity, around diet culture, around body neutrality, like all this stuff around body stuff. And I feel like there's all these things that I know that I feel really confident about. And like, I know how to define it and clarify it and I can preach about it. And I, and you definitely can too. And then I'm trying to integrate that into how I parent about body image and 
I don't know what the hell I'm doing. (laughs) And I go to say things and I'm like, all bodies are good bodies. And then like my kid says something and I'm like, well, that clearly wasn't enough or it wasn't the right thing, or I don't know. And what's so important to me is to not mess this up. And I think coming from as a kid slash teen slash woman slash 46 year old, who has always struggled with body image and is so full of rage that this is a struggle of mine. I don't want to mess this up for my kid. And I'm worried that I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of where the conversation started. And yeah. I don't, I'll let you respond to kind of your side when you said yes, but well, I was excited to have the conversation because I agree with you. I think it is really difficult to divest ourselves of systems that are oppressive in our own life. And then also yeah. simultaneously run a track of figuring out how to communicate that to the most precious people in our lives. Right. So yeah. like you're deconstructing an idea, a set of ideas. And when we're doing that deconstruction, there's reconstruction that happens on the other side. Right. But sometimes you're just still in the space of deconstructing or sometimes you're doing both things at the same time. And so the idea that we have the tools necessarily to also articulate that internalized experience in a way that's digestible for children is, I think that's probably a lot of pressure to put on ourselves. And so the more that I think we can lean on each other collectively to learn how to have that conversation, to make mistakes and then correct them, to be gentle and curious with ourselves. I just think we're going to be better off at impacting the generation that follows us, which is ultimately what we're hoping for you know, some healing for ourselves, certainly, but I know we definitely want it to be better for our kids. Right. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about. So it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over 1 million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. 
So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This kind of awareness that this was going to be a bit of a journey for myself (laughs) as a person and a mom happened at the end of last or started at the end of last school year. And I was walking home with Vinny one day and he was like, Oh mom today in school, like there's some song they were singing about like math or something, something very innocuous. And he's like, yeah, but so-and-so in class, he like substituted the word fat for this other word. And it was so funny. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I had this like whole, which I'm sure so many parents have where you're having this like mental conversation with yourself around, like, how do I respond? Really? Like, I don't want to mess this up, but I'm like frantic about that this happened. And I don't think it's okay, even if it was like innocent. And yeah, so that's where it started. And then it's come up since then where there's just been little things where Vinny's reference, like, Oh, so-and-so said this about like that being fat, or this is chubby. (laughs) And it's like light stuff, but in my world, nothing about those words is light. Mm -hmm. And so that's been really tricky for me. So that's kind of where I, where this awareness started, where I was like, why am I like as a mom and a woman, very triggered when my kid says as someone substituted in the word fat to something or the word chubby into something. And I don't know that he was thinking anything was mean spirited. It was just this funny thing, but I was like, that's the shit that breaks people. And I like, don't know how to talk to him about it. So I'm curious in your work, if how did you integrate the conversations that you have professionally around bodies into parenting? Yeah. Well, the first thing I want to say before I go into sort of my own experiences, I want to acknowledge that your recognition, like that feeling of unease that you felt, right? I mean, I it translated pretty quickly into like the rage that you, you know, you can feel it, right? It's like that heat oh, yeah. builds and you're like, what did you say (laughs) to know? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you check it because you're like, well, that might be a little disproportionate to what's happening, but what is proportionate to what's happening? So really it started from this place of uneasiness because you recognize the slippery slope or the trajectory of that kind of thinking. So, and this isn't really just to blow smoke, but to say that I think just acknowledging that and saying, Hey, I noticed it. And I might not necessarily know what to do with it, but To notice it when it might be innocuous is a really great place to start to have the conversation as opposed to, 
a moment where Vinny actually says something mean, right? So like right. it's that early intervention concept that I think is super important and vital. And Vinny is how old is he? I can't remember. Ten. He'll ten. be ten. Oh, that's right. Weeks. The, Lord the double help digits. Me. Yeah, it's on the way. We've he thinks he's 42, but yeah. Oh. He's <laughs> So I didn't get to have a lot of these conversations when my kids were 10, because this came, this work came to me so much later in my parenting, in my own life. And then in my parenting. So I've really been at this deconstructing my ideas around diet culture and my own body for about four years. So that would have made my kids 16, 15 and 12. My oldest is a girl. So it's a different conversation with the girl truly yeah. than with the two boys, because the impact and the way that translates, is just much different. But I have stories like in that first year of me really trying to figure out my own language and shifting my own language around my body. I have this memory of being in the car with my kid. And that year I had been like at them about fat isn't a bad word. Fat isn't a bad word. You know, I was, I was saying it all the time because I was convincing myself that fat mm-hmm. wasn't a bad word. And so we're in the car and I've, he, I'm driving him somewhere. He's in the passenger seat and I have my hand on the gear shift and he looks down and he goes, He goes, mom, you've got fat fingers. And I felt this. Well, it was like a shame rage combo, right? And I didn't say anything at all. And he kind of looks at me like a little winky, you know? And he's like, (laughs) he's like, I thought fat wasn't a bad word. I thought it just described, I thought it was just a descriptor. Oh yeah. Right. And I was like, well, shit, what do I do with that now? Like, yeah. And so it was at that point that I started to acknowledge the tension between both of those things being true at the same time. Yeah. So the word in that context applied to any part of my body, of course, it evoked a feeling of shame and anger and defensiveness because I have been situated inside of a culture that told me that my fat body should be responded to that way with anger and shame and a desire to hide, right? So I've spent at that point, 41 years of my life, believing, drinking that in every day, not putting up any resistance to it. So of course I had that sort of embodied experience of shame, rage, all those things. And also the truth about the word fat is that taken out of that context, it is nothing other than a descriptor of tissue. And he's not wrong. I don't have thin fingers, right? And he wasn't saying anything about whether or not I was lovable or productive or worthy of love and belonging. He was observing something about my fingers, but because it's all so tied up in this ball, right? It's really hard to pull the thread of what's true and what's not and helping them to discern that in their language. And so I was thinking, as you were telling that story, I was thinking about that first experience with Gabe when he was young. And um, I was thinking about how maybe you could approach Vinny in that. And I was thinking of a question, right? So like, usually what I try to do when I'm super triggered, I've tried to teach myself how to be curious instead of full of rage, right? Or the ending, like I start to feel the rage and then I'm like, get curious. And so, <laughs> right, it's like a script, I rage, curiosity. Yes. So I was thinking about how you can engage that conversation maybe and just asking Vinny to tell you more about what makes that funny. Mm. Like holding up a mirror yeah. and just going like, I don't understand how that's funny. Like not mean, just tell me more about what makes that funny. Because again, it's like so pervasive. It's like the air that you're breathing or the water. Like if you were underwater, it'd be like the water that is all around you, right? So I think that our job is to help our kids tease out what has become almost innate in their context and then holding up a mirror to it and going, is this really what we want to be? Yeah. And that's like where it felt like there wasn't any, and of course, 
like he's nine and in the third grade when this is happening. Like, so of course I think there's like, he can't understand my 46 years of weight around that word. Yeah. Or maybe he might not understand any weight around that word, but in my mind, it's a lot. And so to your point around, like how these like things are just thrown around really casually. And so he's thinking like nothing of this. It could have been that they were some kid in her, you know, changed the word to a song to purple. And he would have been like, oh my God. And then so-and-so said the word purple instead. But I'm like, he said fat. Oh my God. Yeah. And I think um, as your parent, you want to know, I think because what you're trying to get at is, well, what did he mean? And asking him without right. it feeling like full of shame. Right. So like, right. I don't completely understand why that's funny. Like, mm-hmm. tell me more about why you think that's funny. Well, and, and then that'll help him to, to be able to articulate it. Right. And maybe yeah. he can be like, I don't know why it's funny. Right. But I just think the more we can approach <laughs> so much of this is about so much of parenting in general, at least in my experience has been about checking my own shit at <sighs> the door and then going, this is a unique human being differentiated from me. How would I treat <laughs> else, you know? And then I'm like, right, I'd ask right. a question because I don't think it's funny. I wouldn't be like, yeah, what the hell's wrong with you? I'd be like, I don't understand why that's not a funny joke to me. Tell right. Me like more. if you were sitting in a boardroom and someone said it, yeah, you- correct. <laughs> I would say, tell me more about why that's funny. Right. Yeah. What I kind of came to after like the third time I kind of heard this, like kind of goofy referencing, whatever over the course of a few months, it happened. And he was with a friend and I was just overhearing their casual conversation. And it was again, like substituting words in a song. It was a very similar situation to the story he told me about math. Mm-hmm. And so they're like substituting words and changed out one word to fat and whatever. And I was like, I don't think that's funny. And they were like, okay, whatever. They kind of like dismissed me. And then they did it again. The next day we, the friend was over for a sleepover. So that comes up again the next day. And I, and this is when I reached out to you because I like, I didn't lose it, but I really laid it on thick. And what I said, which I'll share in a minute, after I said it, I was like, was that too much? Was it and yeah. like, I was literally like, should I text that mom and say that I just said this to her kid? But what I said was, and I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but I basically said, when I said, you would not say that about a person's skin color or a person, if they had a disability or a person in your class, who's neurodiverse of which they have a number of them who they're friends with. I was like, you would not say any of those things. So you also don't talk about people's bodies that way. That's the Mm -hmm. same thing. I'm like, that's discriminatory talk. I don't want to hear it. It's not okay. And they were both just like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't say anything to the mom in that day. Like things just for whatever reason it didn't. But then a couple of weeks later, we were talking about something else and I told her about it. And she was like, Oh, she's like, Oh, wow. She's like, yeah, you're totally right. I never thought about it that way. And I'm really glad you said that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, I've now equated this to like my, and like Vinny knows, like if I tell Vinny, he's doing something that could be perceived as racist, like there's nothing worse I could say to him. Mm -hmm. And so now I've given, now I'm telling him that like this language that he's using is discriminatory in the same way. And I'm not sure he knows what to do with that. And so I'm like, God, am I like overdoing it? And Mm. that's when I reached out to you. I was like, I need, can we have a conversation about this on the show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Again, as a fat person, it is so important to me that we have thin allies who are having those conversations, particularly with their kids, of course. And I don't necessarily think you can do that wrong. And I have also been giving a lot of thought lately. I'm asked often to do, because I'm also queer. So I'm asked often to do presentation inside of DEI spaces. And as we develop in that space, one of the things I'm noticing now is the way that there's very little 
conversation. So I think we have allies in spaces, but they have gotten much quieter. We have gotten much quieter and it's, and I think we need to be right. But I think part of it is there's this deep fear of doing it wrong and offending people. And I really believe that we have to figure out a way to create non-punitive spaces of accountability that don't pass the shame on because nobody, it's this yes. is like a fact <laughs> of human nature. I'm like, human beings don't respond well when triggered into the space of shame at all. We just don't. It's in right. our hardwiring, right? So right. how do we engage any of these conversations around systems that are oppressive and have oppressed people in a way that allows for the kind of growth that's actually sustainable? It's not just silence, but the ability to have a conversation about what makes that joke funny and then helping yeah. him see that this word has been used to hurt people because I don't have to know your kid to know that your kid doesn't want to hurt people. I'm confident about that. Right. Because I also right. come at most of this from the space of like, people are good. I still actually yeah. believe that. Right. So, yeah. and when they know better, they do better, but they don't do better if they're terrified of getting it wrong. And so I think that's also part of what you were, you were responding yes. to in yourself yeah. when you reached out. Cause I can sense that even as you retell it, where you're like, God, was that too much? And now they're like freaked, you know, because you don't right. want that either. They need to be able <clears throat> yeah. to work it out and understand yeah. that they can work it out in some safety. Yeah. That's where, and this is when I get like flooded with my mm. strong feelings, then I am like, God damn it. I just use shame as a weapon, you know, like yeah, I, I use shame that. as a weapon around something that's like all full of shame already. <laughs> but the other piece of it that is so complicated, I think is that I don't want to, when we create a lot of a where I'm trying to think of the right way to, to say this so that it's clear. But when we talk about like all bodies are good bodies and like, you know, we wouldn't make fun of someone for this color of their skin. So I would, we wouldn't do it for the shape of their body, blah, blah. When we create a lot of awareness around that. I also worry that I am instilling this idea in him that we are living in a culture of fat phobia that will now make him fat phobic himself. Mm -hmm. If I'm teaching him that like, people are oppressed because of the size of their body. Am I now going to have a child who is worried about body image? And I will tell you that I have a child who's very aware of body image. Like mm. he's been aware of his abs as I'm putting them in quotes. Cause right, we right. don't talk about abs in our house, but he's like somehow known about abs since he was like five years old and he looks at his abs in the mirror. And so like, how do I talk mm. to him about bodies without also letting him know that without also creating fat phobia in himself? That's a great question. And I think that this, so it can be that, oh, this is a really nuanced, you have to be really nuanced. It's very meta. <laughs> it is. So I'm going to start at the summary first and then maybe break it apart a little bit, but like acknowledging the system of oppression is, doesn't further the system of oppression. In fact, the system of oppression, no matter what we're talking about, sort of continues to exist by way of silence. And so I think it's really important um, that we as parents just, I can't get past this holding up a mirror thing, right? And helping them learn to question their motive and, and question the context and then doing what you can to remind them of the lesson that all bodies are in fact, really, truly good bodies mm -hmm. and helping them. I mean, truly he's obsessed with his abs, not because you're teaching him, but because it's his breathing in the air that tells him every day that a particular look on a person's core is more desirable than another. Mm -hmm. And so not avoiding that, com I actually think avoiding that conversation to help them like self-critically think like, is that actually important? Right. Right. So not just telling him the, the sound bite, 
all bodies are good bodies, right? Which is, I love that soundbite. It's my favorite. I use it constantly, right? And like, it's the thing that I love at Thanksgiving dinner when people start like complimenting each other's weight loss, right? I'm like, I'm like right above the din. All bodies are good bodies, right? right? Vinny's like rolls his eyes. He's like, I know mom, all bodies are good body. (laughs) Yep. And then I think that the more we can acknowledge the context in which we're all trying to navigate. Yeah. And again, extending like a ton of grace and curiosity. It's about what we do with that. And I was also thinking too, if some of, as we've been talking, this is a new thought. So I'm just gonna, I haven't actually thought this all the way through, but I wonder if part of the rage and part of the reactivity and part of the, let's shut this conversation down is some avoidance of our own discomfort of reckoning with our own internalized fat phobia too. I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, please make this stop. I'm already at war with myself. Yeah. And I don't want to be anymore. And so like, I cannot deal with the idea that I also have to help. It's kind of what I said in the beginning, like we're constantly deconstructing this thing that's being fed to us, you know, all the time. And then we also have to try to do it for our children. Just this couple of weeks ago at work, we were doing an anti-racism training and it's an older video and it has this group of people who work together and there's a lot of diversity on the team. There are three white people. The primary white person who speaks all the time, her name is Karen, literally. Oh my God. It's like amazing. a 20 year old video. Her name was Karen. Love it. Of course. And the white people in this video are doing every single thing that we know now not to do all the things, the centering. I mean, the weeping, all the things. And I'm watching this video and I am enraged. I want to take Karen. I'm going to reach in through the video, grab Karen by the neck and just take her out back. Right. I'm so angry. And the facilitator at the end asked for our reactions. And I shared, I really wanted to get the white people to shut up is what I said. Right. And mm-hmm. the facilitator asked me, she goes, why is it so hard for you to sit with the discomfort of that? And I was like, because I don't want to be that. Right. Like, yeah. I don't want to be that. It is like looking at the yeah. underbelly of ourselves. And so I think that the more we can honestly extend grace and compassion to ourselves, understanding that we're also in the same context. I think it'll help us allow them to unpack things a little differently too. Definitely. And we, before we hit record, talked about, said we would not get through this episode without referencing maintenance phase. And so Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm, is, mm -hmm. I'm going to touch on this now. I think what's one of the things is that's helped me realize some of my own body stuff that I have not done processing and figuring out. And I also think some like intergenerational, maybe I should call it like intergenerational diet culture trauma. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like um, ancestral diet culture trauma. Yes. Yeah, yes uh-huh. Like ancestral yeah. diet, like, yeah. yes. In the DNA, a couple generations mm-hmm. deep. So recognizing that like, there are some things in there that I have not fully processed. And the, when I listen to the ma- to the podcast maintenance phase, which I think every parent should listen to. And I also think that every parent should read or listen to the audiobook of Aubrey Gordon is one of the hosts of maintenance phase. And her book, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat, mm. I think is like critical reading for all human beings. Because I think that what we don't realize is how systemically oppressive we are around bodies and people with bodies of a certain size know that very well, very deeply, because mm-hmm. that's because they've experienced that oppression firsthand. People mm-hmm. like me have not experienced that. And so we don't realize how deep it runs. But when we start to hear about, or for me, at least when I've started to listen really deeply and closely to the, what's talked about on maintenance phase and also in Aubrey's book, what I can see is that even though I don't live in a fat body, I have viewed my body 
through the lens of diet culture, which has not made me feel like my body is the way that it should be in Mm -hmm. air quotes Mm -hmm. for most of my life. And in recognizing that now I'm like mad all over again. Right. (laughs) And so I'm like torn between like, well, now I know I have a whole lot of things I need to work out and figure out on my own. And also I want to be an ally to people who are actually being oppressed. Like I'm not being oppressed about this. I have my own internal oppression about it, but I'm not being like systemically oppressed over it. Right. Yeah. I think that that's where it starts for most of us though. So myself included, I'll find my internal dialogue about people and bodies that are larger than mine. So all of the things I want for people who look at my body, what I don't want people to assume about my body, like she doesn't care, she's unhealthy, all the things, like all the stigma that comes with being fat. I will find myself seeing people in bodies much larger than mine and thinking the same things that I don't want to think about. I have to check my own process. And then, so what I used to do is like, what happened? That would come up. I would feel it. I would think it. And then I'd be like, what the hell's wrong with you? And that is just not ever going to invite me into a place of change, right? So I've gotten Mm -hmm. now to be more curious and compassionate about it where I'm like, well, of course, we are constantly breathing inside of a system that, that depends, like the structure of it depends on a hierarchy always, Mm -hmm. whether we're talking about race, class, ability, the list. It is contingent. It's success. It's it's proliferation is contingent on feeling either above or below of other yeah. people, right? So the compassion around that for me is to just go, well, Sarah, of course, that's what you think. And of course, that's the reality. And then what? Because that's the next question is, and what am I going to do with that? And for me, that's looked like a real interrogation of those thoughts, of those feelings, walking through the effort that it takes to ask myself, is that really true? Is that person in the bigger body than me eating a cheeseburger at dinner? Does that mean they don't get a cheeseburger? Like really investigating my own shit and being persistent and conscious about not letting up on that until I've gotten to the truth, which is all bodies are good bodies. Yeah. You get to have a cheeseburger. Yeah. But getting it um, right, I think that that's when I think trying to get it right is one of the things that cripples us and it keeps the system in place, our obsession oh, with to- getting it right. Totally. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for 
understood explains and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listener can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. I think that whether it's been interesting, um, so parenting a son and my son having male all of his little friends who are boys mm-hmm. it's been really interesting to me how many parents i've had conversations with about their son's body stuff and that they have body stuff like this has been shocking to oh, me that sure, many of yeah. my a number of my son's friends at like age 7 8 already had body stuff insecurities noticing how their bodies are different being critical of their bodies and these are things that i did not expect to come and and i'm sure the circles of girls in his peer group are doing this is going through the same thing but i didn't expect this to come up in with little boys and so it's made me like more committed to learning and which is why i mean i would have been invested in maintenance phase no matter what because it's like the best podcast in the world for so many reasons but it's made me all the more committed to like digging in and figuring this out and one of the pieces that's been really interesting is like learning the depth of our own biases the impact of diet culture on every single woman and mom. And then how is that then reflected in your parenting and how you have conversations? And like, you can tell in mine, it's like, I get like defensive and like, I just want to like teach and yell, not yell, but like, I want to be really like preachy yeah, uh-huh. and uh-huh. firm and yeah. not curious yeah, <laughs> and or so compassionate. Yep. So right. 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 <laughs> and the other thing that I've learned is that I think is really important to be pointed out is that what we've been taught for those of us who think like we are not connected to diet culture anymore. And that we've like, quote unquote, like overcome that or whatever. There's a million things that we are doing in code that are still diet culture. And I think that the number one thing is this constant obsession with optimizing health and telling our kids that they have to constantly make healthy choices. 
And so I think that the new code word went from like being on a diet to changing your lifestyle to now making healthy choices. And no one's going to say that it's bad to tell your kid to make healthy choices. But the subtext is, well, is that Coca-Cola a healthy choice mm-hmm. with like a tone that goes with it or like, yep. Yep. so there's, I think there's all these things that we're doing. And I've learned this in listening to maintenance phase. Like we're still doing all this bad, like all the shit is still there. It's just in different words. And we think we got it right. And we still have it wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's super insidious. It is diet culture, super insidious. I mean, I, again, this has been like the primary focus of my own personal work for four years. And three weeks ago, I had a stomach flu for four days and I was relieved by the way my stomach felt at the other, on the other side of that. Come on. Mm. I mean, a person would think I was past that. And again, I had to come back to that place with some compassion because I had to just go with Sarah, of course. I think one of the things as you were talking that I thought of is that it's really important to say that fat phobia isn't just bad for fat people. It's oppressive to fat people but it's bad for all of us. Like, yeah, that's super important. And so when we ask these questions about health and we of course don't mean go on a diet, one of the things that has helped me to discern, is this really about health or is it about being thinner? Is that I take the code out and I ask myself, if I did this thing and I gained weight, would I not be okay with, like if it made me better in this way, but I gained weight, would I still do it? And if the answer is no, then it's still, this is just about diet culture. It's just about being afraid of being fatter than I am now. The answer has to be, and the other thing that occurs to me in that too, is that if we expand the definition of health, so we can still talk about being healthy. Can we not reduce it to Coke? Can we expand it? Can it not just be about sugar intake? Cause I think that's really where parents, I think that's where parents, I think it's really coded in like, that's like the safe way to say you can't have sugar, the non-diet culture way to say you can't have it's sugar. Absolutely it's absolutely like, true. It's not and, a healthy choice in quotes. And that boils to me, the more that I pay attention to this, that boils down to whether or not we fundamentally believe that we can be trusted with ourselves, with our cravings, with our desires, mm-hmm. with, or do we believe like we've been fed that some level of restriction is required? Otherwise we will all end up immobile dead at the age of 30, all that fear-mongering crap that has has been fed to us, it only thrives in an environment where we believe that we cannot be trusted with ourselves. It dies in an environment where we know that I can trust myself with myself. And I mean that about sugar. And I didn't believe this in the beginning. And this is kind of intuitive eating-ish. So I won't go too far down this rabbit hole. But one of the primary things that was super important to me in in recovery from my own eating disorder and really engaging with intuitive eating was learning how to have the foods around me that I'd spent my entire life believing I couldn't control myself around. And you know what happened? Like, I mean, I still have to discover those from time to time. I'm like, God, I'm doing it again. But macaroni and cheese, shells and cheese was a big thing for me. Like Mm -hmm. I never, there's just a lot of food rules about it and learning how to have it in my house, learning how to make it. And eat it until I was satisfied, not just full, but satisfied. And in the beginning, that was a very large quantity because I had never allowed myself to have it. Today, I probably have six boxes of shells and cheese in my pantry and I don't give a shit. And it's because I've learned that I can trust myself with myself. The same is true about sugar. It's about all of the choices that surround our health. And I mean that broadly, whether it be mental, spiritual, psychological, physical, we can be trusted to know what we need. We just have to learn to come back to ourselves. Nobody teaches us that. We're taught the opposite. Yeah. We're taught restrict your sugar intake. Do not have that Coke. 
So one of the things I catch myself doing that I feel like is not my finest parenting is snack stuff when Vinny's snacking. And like this child would like to live on rolled gold pretzels. Yeah. And so he'll, I'll give him a bowl of pretzels or he'll take a bowl of pretzels. And then he'll, if he does it himself, the bag always stays on the counter. Mm. And so then I'll hear him go back to the bag and I can like in my office here, like the bag rustling, and I'll be yeah. like, no more pretzels. Like, because in my yeah. mind, I'm like, he's going to eat 13 bowls of pretzels and not eat dinner. The reality is if I leave him to self-monitor, he has like, he might have two bowls, whatever. It's fine. But I get this like panicky. Yes. And I think it's because everything in our household was measured. Like you yes. can have one of these, oh, God, or two same, same. like everything. Same. And here's the Doritos. You can have seven same. serving size, <laughs> serving size, which by the yes. way is made up, made up serving. Totally. Size. Yeah. And so uh-huh. like, I cannot like I cringe and I like try to catch myself. I'm like, don't yell about the pretzel bag when you hear it. But I'm like, I can't help myself. And I mean, this is a kid who like, will eat a whole cucumber and a half a watermelon and then have his pretzel. Like he's not like only eating junk. He'll eat a reasonably well balanced stuff. And I still am like, Oh my God, the pretzels. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Do you still feel the same sense in yourself of like, um, can you be trusted to self-regulate? I can, but I couldn't, I didn't trust myself probably until around the time he was born. Like we have chips and stuff in the house all the time now. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I eat them regularly, but I trust myself with, like I can have them to satisfaction and be done. But because I never had the opportunity to self-regulate that growing up. Right. When I did have to self-regulate, it was always not like binge and purge excessive, but it was like, a lot as much as yeah. I could get. It was a lot. Yeah. 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 And what I've discovered in that process of, for me, it's called it's <clears throat> refeeding. It's learning how to eat again is that there are times where it has been a lot. And what happens is I end up then sitting with the physical discomfort of what happens in my body when it's a lot. Yeah. And if I, as long as I stay in my body, I don't want to do it again. And so that's the monitor. It's the fact that our bodies are really insistent on survival. Actually, they really mm-hmm. want to survive. And so they're not I think that before we even form a conscious thought inside of this social construct, we are taught to be at war with ourselves, our own bodies. Mm -hmm. And so there's this deep distrust when in fact, the opposite is true. Like this is organic matter that is actually on my side. It's on my side. This body is on my side. And if this body is on my side, then I can listen to her and she will tell me the truth. And so I think too, that beyond all bodies are good bodies, that message back to your child about their own body. You can be trusted with you all the way. And then that'll teach them that other people can be trusted with themselves too. I probably don't need to intervene in the grocery cart of a fat person. They're okay. Right. 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 Oh my gosh. Oh, Sarah, I want you to stay for like three more hours. (laughs) I know you have to go. I will come back. It's really good. It's really good for me too. Anytime. This has been so helpful. I appreciate you so much. I feel like we dug into a whole bunch of stuff and learned some new ways to frame and talk about things. And just like, even just your pointer around curiosity, I thought was so on point and important. Where can people find you, connect with you, learn all about the beautiful project, et cetera. Yeah. So the best place to do that probably right now is either um, Instagram or Facebook, uh, the beautiful project. It's beautiful with two L's because it has nothing to do with beauty, but it's an invitation to be full. And so there's not a lot of content right now, like new content on social platforms, but that would get you to the website, which is where all of this beautiful storytelling lives. It wasn't just me and my writing. It was 
a collective of stories about women and their bodies and beauty and belonging and really powerful stories, beautiful project. You can always find the new stuff I'm doing at, at bysarahstevens.com. And I'm going to disappear from the socials for six months, but I'll be back with something. We'll figure it out. I cannot wait to find out what you learn while you're away. Thank you. And I'm so grateful for you and for our friendship and for you, all the ways that you just always say yes when I reach out. And thank you. Thank you for showing up for this conversation. Oh my gosh, this was really helpful for me as a parent, but I also know it will be so helpful for our community. It was an honor. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.